Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. As a creative entrepreneur, it can feel isolating to go it alone. Imagine being surrounded by other accomplished creative colleagues eager to accelerate the growth of their business and personal brands. I'm Philip Van Dusen, and I'm launching a membership community called Bonfire for creative pros like you, because I believe in the power of building a meaningful network. Bonfire is a hybrid coaching, training, networking, and accountability community, a place for us to share, grow, and ignite our potential together. Need more confidence about your next move? With our Fire Milestone Success Map, you'll know what your next step should be and exactly how to get there. You get bi-weekly video sessions, private online community, a deep resource library, and exclusive access to yours truly and other amazing benefits. So come join Bonfire, a community of like-minded individuals who are as passionate as you. Visit philipvandusen.com bonfire to learn more about the launch. Let's fuel your creative future. The following podcast comes from a live stream I did recently. Many of you have requested that I make my live streams available as audio so you can listen to them on the go. So I am now republishing some of my most popular live streams as podcasts to make that possible. I share a boatload of valuable tips, tools, methods, and processes on my live streams, and I want to make sure that you don't miss a thing. Now, you may hear me make references to slide visuals, which you obviously can't see on a podcast, or to live stream viewers' comments and questions, but that just comes with the territory and generally won't detract from the value of the content, I assure you. And as always, if you like this episode, please take a moment to provide a star rating or review on your favorite podcast listening platform, or better yet, share the episode on social or with a friend or a colleague. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hey, everybody. So we're going to be talking about some really cool stuff today. This is a very important topic. And one of the reasons why I'm revisiting this topic is because, A, the world has changed pretty dramatically in the last couple of years. And I also did a live stream on this topic a couple of years ago or over a year ago. But when I did it, I ran into all of these technical issues, right? So my video was stuttering and my audio was stuttering. And even though that was happening, it's turned out to be one of my most popular lives that I've left up on YouTube. A lot of people watch it. And so I decided I wanted to revisit the topic, number one, because I think I can do it a little bit better justice now. And I have a couple of new points of view that I wanted to kind of plug into it too. Okay. I want to start off with a couple of examples. This just came into my email this week. Tom Ambury, the record holder for free throws, shot 2,750 free throws in basketball without missing a shot. It took him 12 hours to do this, one after another. And he was 71 years old when he did it. I just think that that's so awesome. Not only from the fact that it's a world record for consecutive hit free throws in the world, but the guy was 71, man. What a machine. Just goes to show. Harlan Sanders, Colonel Sanders, who I actually had the pleasure of meeting. My brother, when he was young, was actually in a Kentucky Fried Chicken commercial. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, only miles from the very first location of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And Harlan Sanders spent his life actually in construction. And Kentucky Fried Chicken was his side hustle after he retired. He started Kentucky Fried Chicken when he was 62 years old. And within seven years, it was the biggest franchised restaurant in the world. And then, you know, the rest is history. And then moving into design a little bit, Herb Lubelin, he worked for three different magazines, for Eros, for Fact, and also for Avant-Garde. And he's known for designing the Avant-Garde font. Very famous designer. Started his agency at 46 years old. Another one of my favorites, as you guys know, is David Carson, who's an awesome dude. He became a designer at 41, and within by the time he was 62, he was one of the most famous designers in the world. And he's also kind of my spirit animal when it comes to designers because he broke all the rules of graphic design and really kind of set the graphic design industry on its heels with his Raygun magazine and how he deconstructed and broke down and was incredibly innovative and experimental in how he handled graphic design. He came to graphic design as a surfer, which I think is also very cool. So leading into ageism in graphic design. So 
I want you to stay also to the end because I'm going to share with you the one thing that you can do to combat ageism and the effects of ageism on your creative career to mitigate the effects of how it could really nail you in your career. So I want you to stick with me towards the end. In 1967, a law came into being in the United States anyway, called the Age Discrimination and Employment Act. And what that did was it prevented and protected people over 40 years old from age discrimination in their jobs. The problem with it is, in the creative industries, and actually in most industries, is that it's really hard to prove. And the HR industry and the hiring industries have found ways to kind of take the teeth away from that that law. It's really difficult to prove ageism. So even though there's laws on books saying that it's illegal to do, doesn't keep it from happening. And ageism is really bad. (laughs) Ageism is really bad in the creative industries. When I was a 45-year-old creative director, I was a well, I was vice president of design at a major fashion corporation in the United States. And I hired lots of people. I had a staff of 65 people, five divisions. It was a big team. And so I was interviewing and hiring all the time. And I found myself starting to think about the longevity of the people that I was hiring and judging some of the people who I was interviewing around their age. And I knew that this was the wrong thing to do, but I was feeling pressure from HR and from my manager to find younger folks. And it's not like I'm an ageist person. And I certainly wasn't when I was 45 years old, but it it happens. It, It totally happens. And advertising, the advertising industry is really bad. That's probably where it happened. Well, I take it back. There's one more industry that's worse. You kind of like age out of being a creative director in the advertising industry at about 40. In fact, a number of years ago on LinkedIn, I saw a thread in a group, a creative director group that said, where have all the 40-year-old creative directors gone? And there were so many comments on this thread. There were like 2,500 comments on this thread. And I read a lot of them. And it was, there were a whole lot of people who had been blindsided by the fact that they were aging out of their industry and they had no idea that it was coming. The tech industry is probably the worst. The tech industry is like the average, I read an article that the average age of people who are working at Facebook, LinkedIn, and SpaceX is 29 years old. That's average, meaning that there's half above and half under, right? So 29 years old. An article in the New York Times came out a little while ago that was about how 30 and 40-year-old tech workers were starting to really sense pressure around their age. And they actually, they were doing this profile on this retreat in Baja, California that was teaching tech industry people at 35 and 40 years old how to deal emotionally with the ageism in the tech industry. And that kind of like set me back on its heels. And I'm sure that it's hitting a lot of tech people right now because of the layoffs that they've had in the tech industry in the last year too. So the creative economy has more opportunities than ever. Like we are as creative people, if you're creative and you're in this live stream, we have more opportunities than ever. Like it's a creative global economy and AI is giving us a lot more tools that we can do things with, design automation. There's all sorts of threats happening for us too, right? The global economy is at the same time commodifying design and driving prices down. AI is just a big question mark right now, like what's going to happen with that? The industry is changing and is becoming much less stable. Jobs on the whole are much less stable. There's some facts around this, like the AIGA does a design census every five years, and it's a very, very broad census of what's happening in the design industry. And so here are just a couple not so fun facts within, or at least very important to discuss facts. One is job security. And they did a survey of graphic designers working in the field about how they felt about their job security. And 4% felt it was rock solid. 22% felt fairly stable. 16% said it could end at any time. And 58% felt a little concerned. So there's this level, a big portion of the working population and the creative industries are feeling concerned about the stability of their jobs, which is very nerve wracking and something that causes anybody a lot of emotional stress. 
And so whatever we can do as designers to try to calm ourselves and prepare ourselves for any eventuality of what happens with our employment is a valuable thing to do. And here's the other chart that I want you guys to really pay attention to. And this is one of the real key ones about today. And that is that this is the survey of the age of designers who are currently working. And this is not just designers currently working in agencies and in-house. It's also freelancers, right? So this is the age range of designers currently working. 64% are from 20 to 35 years old. Then it drops to 25% are 35 to 50. 10% are 50 to 60, and only 1% is over 60. So if you bucket together the 50 and above 60-year-olds, we're talking about 11%. Only 11% of the working population of designers are over 50 years old. So something happens after 50 that waterfalls designers right out of the industry. And we're going to talk about why that is. Part of it is ageism, but also some other factors that could feed into that. And then how you can deal with it, how you can prepare yourself to to address that eventuality. And that is a true, factual eventuality. All right, so let's move into it. I just got an email from a guy on LinkedIn yesterday, a DM from a guy on LinkedIn. We'll just call him KL. He's a 55-year-old creative director, and he was a photojournalist. He has a photojournalism background, and he felt that his editorial and journalism background made him kind of unique and a unique background and selling point to what he did. And he worked with a small team for five years at a personal finance website. And then out of the blue, a couple months ago, he got laid off with his whole department. So it was him and like five other people, totally laid off. And he's 55, and he has now applied to over 30 creative director jobs and has been rejected or ignored across all of them. And he was really surprised and really concerned and was kind of asking himself and then asking me through the DMs, why? Why is this happening? And I said, dude, you got to like show up to my live on, on YouTube on Friday. And so he's now taken it upon himself to start to learn UX, UI, mobile digital marketing, and he's hoping that that will give him some more tools to move back into the industry. I took a look at his website and his LinkedIn profile. And one of the things that I saw, and I'll talk about this a little bit later too, is that they were very me-focused, meaning that he was talking about, I do this, I'm very passionate about this, I've got experience in XYZ, rather than being you-focused or client-focused, meaning, are you a ex-client with this sort of problem? Rather than it being like, this is what I do, what I like. You have to flip that script and you have to make it about the person who's coming to your website and what solution it is that you are delivering to them. But I wanted to bring him up just because this is the sort of blindsided individual that I coach all the time, for one thing, and that I hear about all the time through DMs and people messaging me about people who are either pivoting or they are surprised that they got laid off by no fault of their own. And this is the thing I want to impress upon you. It's no fault of their own. Their agency might have been, in, you know, it might have been acquired by a larger holding company. Their company might have restructured and their department got shifted around and they got laid off. It could have been they lost a major cornerstone client. And so the revenue, the agency reduced and they had to reduce staff. A lot of times it's not getting kicked out of the industry because of cause. It's just by, it's just by happenstance. And, but then people are 45 years old or 50 years old and they wake up and they suddenly realize they're not getting the number of interviews or the, even the interest or the callbacks that they used to get. And they're surprised by it. And I don't want people to have to go through that. I really, really don't. And so what are the, some of the perceptions of older creative people? And I'm going to say this as perceptions because this is what you hear, and it's not necessarily the truth. Things like older creatives aren't as creative, they don't design as well, or they can't innovate as well. Maybe you hear that they don't understand the younger buyers, right? And my question is, do the younger ones understand who the older buyers are? 
older designers can't keep up with technology. They can't navigate, you know, the newest social platforms. They cost too much. Now, the cost too much thing is actually true because as you advance in your career, you start to make more money. And as if you are a senior level, you know, by age designer, you are probably making up there in terms of salary. And companies, agencies want to keep the salary depressed. And so if you cost more, that is something that is going to not work in your favor as much. And it's the truth around anybody who advances in their career. They may say that older creatives are less flexible or they're less willing to work long hours. Sometimes that's true too, right? Because it's work-life balance as you move on in your life. They say older creatives are more forgetful or they're easily confused or they're antisocial. So there are a lot of perceptions around older designers that can work against our best interest. And so combating those and being really just, and the reason why I'm bringing it up is being really conscious of this fact is one of those things that you want to make sure that you're paying attention to. Now, some of the advantages of older creatives, and you know, maybe I'm preaching to the choir here because most of the people are saying in the group are saying that it, you know, they're starting to feel this kind of thing come about, is that we have more design experience, meaning that we've seen a lot more design. We know a lot more about what has happened, and so we can judge design better. Our aesthetics sometimes are much better. Our perspective and understanding of historical patterns and knowledge of design are often better. Our knowledge, our historical knowledge of brands, meaning we can be better brand guardians because we understand more about branding. We understand more about marketing. Older creatives can also understand and identify with older buyers. And with the baby boomer generation moving into retirement, then you know there's more older buyers than ever. And so having older designers who can really identify with that directly is actually a benefit. But you'd be surprised how many agencies don't see it as a benefit. There's the EQ. So there's the emotional intelligence. So as you mature in life, you have a tendency to gain more emotional intelligence, you would hope. And it sometimes helps people manage personalities or interpersonal conflicts or interpersonal communication. Older designers have more holistic business experience. So they've been in business and around business and around marketing longer than people who haven't been in the industry as often. And they have more decision-making experience. They've run into more things, dealt with more difficult clients, run into more problem situations, fire, you know, fires to be put out, et cetera. And they can navigate those things better than sometimes people with less experience can. So one of the things I want to kind of point out to you, younger creatives, or actually, to be honest with you, older creatives, if you are starting to sense the fact that something is not the way it used to be out there, right, with your job, is this is kind of a come to Jesus kind of slide. You have to realize, as a designer, you have a shelf life. Now, to a certain extent, this is like anybody in the workforce has a shelf life. But designers, 25 to 45 is prime time. Like that is the time that you've got to get in, you've got to make a salary, you've got to move up, you've got to advance, make as, you know, make the impact and as much money as you can. Because after 45, things start to get dicey. You want to maximize your earning potential and your ambition as soon as you possibly can. Put it on a fast track. Now, another thing, and this is another kind of wake up call for a lot of people, is that salaries have a ceiling, meaning, Non-managerial salaries have a ceiling. If you're a designer and you just want to stay a designer, you want to be a junior, senior, move up to senior level designer, or maybe an assistant associate art director, and you still want to be doing a lot of designing, but you don't want to really do management, you have to realize that your salary is going to cap out. Like Your salary is not going to continually going up if you're a senior designer going through your 40s and into your early 50s. It's like, that salary stops. The only place where you can really continue to grow your salary is if you move into management. So accepting management responsibilities as soon as you possibly can in your career is what's going to keep your earning power going up. So you really want to take control of your career. You want to own it, right? You don't want to let 
circumstance that you are in drive where your career is going. You want to really take some ownership of it. The other thing, and I'll talk about this a little later too, is the V-shape versus the T-shape skill set. A T-shape skill set is like you're really great at one thing and you don't have a lot of other experience or knowledge in other things. A V-shape skill set is where you have a deep skill in one thing, but then you have varying degrees of abilities in others. And so you want to, if you have a purely T-shaped skill set, that is a liability. Companies and agencies love it because as an employee, you come in, they want you to do the thing. Don't get your nose in other people's business or other areas of the business. And the larger the company, the more T-shaped they want you to be. The smaller the company you're in, the more V-shaped they will accept. But in terms of career longevity, you want to make sure that you are nurturing that V-shape as much as you can. And that will reduce the amount of leverage that your employer has over your career longevity. And that will prepare you better for eventual layoffs and the eventuality of having to go out on your own or being sidelined for any period of time as you age. So what can you do? All right, let's talk about this. What can you do? First of all, you need to embrace change. You want to stay current on apps, on programs, on versions. You want to stay current on design trends. One of the reasons why I do my design trends is to make sure that people are paying attention to what is happening in the landscape. You want to show commitment, and that's visual commitment to ongoing learning. So make sure that your employer, your manager knows that you are continuing to learn things, taking little courses or paying for courses on your own. Let them know that you're taking courses and possibly even getting certifications. Stay current on the newest hardware, the newest software, et cetera. AI, right? So AI is on the top of everybody's radar right now. So making sure that your employer knows that you are paying attention to that. You're possibly even experimenting with it. Chat GPT, Claude, Midjourney, Stable Diffusion, the imagery generating aspects of AI. Chat GPT is building in image kind of manipulation and stuff now, like everything is getting much more robust. And again, like I said, you want to keep up with trends, trends in design, trends in networking, how people are actually interacting with each other. You also want to make sure that you're keeping your personal website and your social media feeds current as well, because you don't want those to go fallow. The other thing that you can do to kind of embrace change and stay relevant is in moving from that T-shape to that V-shape skill set is to start to try to learn things like brand strategy or marketing or advertising purchasing or something that's just beyond whatever your kind of core skill set is, whether you're a photographer, illustrator, writer, graphic designer, UX, UI person, you want to broaden that skill set. And when I say broaden it, I also mean not only into maybe another discipline of design, but another kind of moving into the intellectual part of design. So that's why I'm mentioning brand strategy or how you might coach more junior people or how you might consult independently. Think about intellectual deliverables of what you do. I hope that makes sense. We'll get deeper into that in a second. And you want to also be future focused. What I mean by this is as you age and get more mature in your career, you have a tendency to kind of like focus on stuff that has happened in the past and and mention a lot of like, well, the way we used to do it. And I'm not saying you're old old fogey and stuff like that, but you got to be conscious of how much you are pointing to the past. You want to make sure that you're staying on today's technology, today's problems, focusing on today's problems. You want to learn to be problem solutions focused and be able to articulate those problems that you are solving. You want to make it obvious on your LinkedIn profile, what problems you solve, who you solve them for, and your website. And this refers back to that case study of the guy I got the DM from on LinkedIn, is that you you want to make sure that how you're communicating on your website and in your profiles is problem solutions focused, not just all about you and I'm passionate about blah. It's like, I help X do X. Like I solve this niche's problem by delivering this. It's problem solution. 
You don't say, I have a passion for X, Y, Z. Clients don't care. Clients want to know what is in it for them. Use that vast experience that you have to make a client's life easier. And older creatives are perfectly situated to be able to do this with a level of confidence because of the depth of experience that you have. So take a look at your social profiles, take a look at your website, take a look at your LinkedIn about section and start to look at it through the lens of if a client was coming to this, what would they see in it for them? It's not just this little me show. Okay. So stay future focused and say solutions focused and be a specialist who does more. So this is that V-shapes, T-shaped thing that I mentioned. You want to niche down. If you can, understanding and being a specialist in a particular industry, you know, could be food packaging, could be doing UX, UI for transportation apps, whatever it is. You can niche down, but also reveal the depth of creative experience and breadth that you have. You want to be able to communicate what your superpower is, what your T-shaped deep skill set is, but you also want to have in your back pocket and be developing and nurturing that V-shape, that other set of skills. And in order to do this, you can also do this through partnerships and through your network. So Developing a network of specialist partners is super important in terms of career insurance. And I'm going to get deeper into this a little later too, is that developing a network that fills in where you are not an expert and could act as a strategic partner in working on projects with is a level of career insurance. And I'll tell you why in just a little bit. Whenever you're asked, can you do this? The answer to that is always yes. Because you always want to be able to accept anything that comes your way. And if you have a network of specialist partners, you can do that. Because even if the thing you're being asked is something that you don't do or that you have no experience in, you know someone who does. And all you have to do is send them that text or send them that DM. And you've got someone on call who's going to be enable you to be able to say yes to that project or that initiative without hesitation. So. This one's easy. <laughs> don't be old or don't act old, right? Stay healthy, take care of your health, take care of your body, try to stay full of energy, right? Eat good foods, eat healthy, be full of enthusiasm. Being jaded or being negative is one of the biggest complaints that companies have. It's people who have a tremendous amount of experience, but may have become jaded or negative through that experience. And it's easy to do in the creative industries because there is a lot of stuff, unhealthy kind of stuff and interpersonal communication that goes on in the creative industries. But in that, it's also okay to embrace your, your age and your experience because being the gray hair in the room is something that clients sometimes value. Clients can respect it even if your boss doesn't. They, clients love the idea of having someone who's got you know, some level of brand history understanding, brand guardianship, you know, understanding of marketing as a whole, business as a whole, you know, the arc of design through time. That sort of maturity has value to clients. Bosses have a tendency to look at it through kind of a little bit of a different filter sometimes. But being the gray hair is the person in, with experience in the room can be very valuable. So don't turn your back on your experience, but be very conscious of how you are presenting yourself in terms of health and energy and enthusiasm. And your emotional maturity also counts for a lot. And so you have to show a level of maturity in how you communicate. And again, dress the part. The blue Oxford and the khakis might not serve you really well in the creative industries, so think about how you're maintaining your wardrobe and how you're coming across to people in terms of the visual presence or presentation of your personal brand. So one of the recommendations I'm going to make for you is that you really want to start building your business foundation, like a business foundation. If you had to suddenly tomorrow, you got the call and you've been furloughed or you've been laid off or your department has been, you know, kind of eliminated whatever you know kind of nomenclature they want to give it and you want to start building that thing before you actually need it 
So think about what your infrastructure might need to be if you were suddenly on your own. So understanding and using communication platforms like Slack and Discord. Now, if you're in an agency or company, you might be already using these sorts of platforms. But if you're not, you want to start thinking about what kind of communication platforms would I need outside if I was on my own. Project management software like Mondays or Asana or Airtable, things like that. You want to start to experiment with and find your niche, find your comfort zone within some sort of project management software. You got to think about your website, right? You got to think about what platform you're on, Squarespace, WordPress, how you're building that, how up-to-date it is, right? The last thing you want to have happen is if suddenly you're laid off tomorrow, that your website you haven't touched in five years, and you're going to have to start from scratch in collecting every piece you've ever done in your portfolio and updating 20 pages on your website, and it's going to take you two months to do, you have to start making sure that you're keeping up with that as you're employed is an important and smart thing to do. You also want to think about marketing. How would you conceivably market yourself? Would you do it through paid advertising? Would you be able to do that? Would you do it through content marketing? If you're going to do it through a level of attraction, content marketing, you might want to start experimenting with a level of content creation and kind of establishing yourself in that sort of way. Another thing you want to think about is your financial acumen. So when you're off on your own, you have to manage your own revenue. Got to have some sort of financial software that you're up to date on and know how to use. FreshBooks, QuickBooks, Xero, whatever that is. You don't want to be, this is the top line. This is the headline. You don't want to be starting to have to figuring this stuff out, this whole laundry list of stuff that I just talked about. You don't want to be having to figure that out on day one if you're suddenly waking up and you're being out on your own. You want to have as much of this in place and being built and being looked at as you possibly can. So starting to build your foundation early is career insurance, no matter when you end up using it. The next thing I want to talk about And it came out of a conversation that I was having kind of with someone in the DMs out of my Facebook group, was that you also want to consider chapter two, because here's the thing. When you look at that pie chart, that pie chart of people who that showed, you know, from the 50 to 60 year olds and above, only 11% of the working population of designers are in there. It's not only that they're out of work and they like fell off the edge of the earth or that they're even freelancing. They could be out of the design industry. And so if there may be a choice that people are making when they hit 55, if they're laid off or they lose their job or they're made redundant, is that they're saying, I've been there, done that with design. I'm ready to try something new. I'm ready for a chapter two. I'm ready for a pivot. And this is one of those things that I really help people with in my one-on-one coaching is these pivot points, whether they're hitting some ageism thing and they're going to have to figure out how to go out on their own, or whether they're looking at their design career and you're figuring out like, what is it that I want to do next? So one of the explanations for why that those, those numbers, those quantitative numbers fall off a cliff after 50 in the AIGA design survey is that maybe these designers have lost interest. They've burned out. They've hit a midlife pivot point or you know, they've needed a midlife change. They've gotten the bug. There are a lot of skills in graphic design that are transferable, okay? So d- designers might, these are the sorts of things that designers might pivot into. So there are things like intellectual product. I mentioned this before, right? So starting to deliver brand strategy or consulting or coaching. There's also project management. So as a creative, you've been working within and driving projects for a long period of time in your career. So you might be able to drive or manage projects outside of a creative sense in another company. Doing product management, that's another possibility. Education, teaching in real life schools. You could do online courses. You could develop digital products and sell those. There are designers who I've known who've gone into physical products. So things like graphic apparel or publishing or doing design books. Designers also, if you've had a, you know, a lucrative enough career, you can just move on to passion projects like writing or painting or photography. You could find ways to monetize those as well on Etsy or any of the number of the sites where people take creative skills 
out of the commercial zone and go more into the fine art zone. There's also small business. I've known a lot of creatives who've pivoted out of creative careers and moved into small business. Why? Because creatives have that kind of holistic sense of what it takes to display, sell, market, the visual impression that people get when they go into an in, in real life store. They have a sense for product display and in-store experiences. So there are creatives who kind of move into that more in real life kind of manifestation of creativity. The next thing, and this is a really important one, it will happen before you are ready. This will happen before you are ready. I get DMs and emails from people all the time who are caught with their pants down, unaware that this was coming down the pike. And there are people in advertising, it happens to them at 42 years old, 45 years old, where it's like they've aged out and they had their heads down and they were working 40 hour, you know, 40, 60, 80 hour weeks in advertising. And suddenly it happens and they're like, oh my gosh, I am not ready. And so you have to accept, there's a level of acceptance here. It will happen to you before you're ready. Yes, you prepare for the inevitable. You got to look at the data. The data will not lie. You realize that eventually you will be out on your own. Now, whether that is you're developing your own small agency or your own consultancy or you're going freelance or you're developing a larger agency, but it's yours rather than you working for the man, whether that's in-house or whether it's at an agency. You have to, because of this, you have to be kind of conscious and cautious when you're changing jobs after 40 in creative industries. So if you're at 40 and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to jump ship because I want to get a higher title and more salary, don't make noise or jump ship until you have another bird in the hand, right? Don't leave and go, I'm going to explore and I'm going to check things out. Maybe I'll make a pivot into a different part of the industry and you know I'll take six months off and blah, blah, blah. Be really careful about that after 40 years old. And the thing you also have to realize is when this eventually happens to you, your skills and your experience don't matter anymore. That when finally this mallet hits you in the head that you weren't ready for, you're going to expect that, like that case study of KL at the very beginning that I was talking about, you're going to expect and think that your years of experience, your incredible portfolio, your laundry list of clients that you've worked for, your, you know, your history and experience in managing people, that your skill and experience is going to get you out of this. It won't. That's the thing. It's like you've hit a wall and the age perception is what's hampering your career, not your experience, not your skill level. And your salary is probably working against you too. So at this point, you have to hire yourself because no one else will. And that is what I'm trying to impress upon you as and give you the tools for the roadmap for how to think about how you get through this pivot point, this watershed moment in any creative's career. So the next thing we're going to talk about is building a personal brand. And if you've been following me for any period of time, and I've been on social media for, I don't know, eight years now, long time, you know I am a convert of personal branding because it is what built my own personal agency. My content marketing built my client list. It took me out of working for the man and made me viable as an independent creative professional later in life because I built a personal brand. When you work for someone else, you are building their brand. When you work for someone else, you are building the brand of others. And so you want to pay attention to the fact that simultaneously, you want to pay a little attention to your own brand and start building your own brand and putting some time and sweat equity into that. So you're not waking up one day and just realizing that you got a portfolio and everything you've done is for other people and you haven't built any infrastructure for yourself. Now, when you are solo, you're building your own brand. You have to buy some land. So you got to own your own land, your website. There's only two pieces of digital real estate that we own, your website and your email list if you started to build one. You don't own social media sites that can go poof, right? Talk to any of the people who built million-dollar brands on Vine. Where are they now? Social media platforms go poof. 
Look at what's happened into Twitter. I know people who direct colleagues of mine who have built significant parts of their social media presence on Twitter. And Twitter is a dumpster fire right now. And people are leaving it like a sinking ship. And their interaction and their posts are getting less engagement and their analytics are going down. And the, the level of discourse that's happening there is not what it used to be. This is Twitter, right? This is one of the most giant social networks that's a household name. And there are things that are massively changing there right now. So you don't want to build all of your brand on borrowed land. You got to think about like, what is the land that I own? Yes, you have to put in time and content onto different platforms, but pay attention to how much you're investing in any one. And I want to remind you of the four pillars. I went through this in a live two weeks ago where I was talking about building authority online. There are four pillars of building a personal brand. You want to become credible. So that's knowing your, you got to know your stuff. And so you have to make sure that you're documenting and building your skill sets, that V-shaped skill set and becoming credible enough that you can go to market and convince people that you have credibility there. Number two, the second pillar is you want to become visible. And that is where you're building your presence. You want to be showing up in feed. You want to be showing up in real life at conferences and events. You want to be developing some content, developing some sort of presence, becoming visible as an individual. The third pillar is delivering value. You want to really know whose problem you're going to fix, what that problem is, and how you're fixing it. You want to understand what the value, what is the value that you are delivering, and be able to and develop an articulation of what that is. And that's going to show up on your website, and that's going to show up on your LinkedIn profile, and it's going to show up through all of the content and all the communication and the engagement that you do on social media. And the fourth pillar is authority. And that is where you are creating documentation of transformations that you have created and achieved. You are building and cataloging case studies and stories of people and clients that you have helped that are going to serve as the picture of your authority. And you do that through the transformations that you've been able to create for people. So focusing on building that personal brand while you are still employed is a creative career longevity insurance policy. And then also building a meaningful network. Building a meaningful network. I want to tell you the one thing I wish I knew earlier in my career. This is the one most important thing I wish I knew earlier in my career. And that is that people don't stay in their jobs forever. And that by building relationships with your coworkers, building relationships with your clients, building deeper relationships with colleagues, people work in their job for five, six years, right? And then they do go to a different company. If you keep in contact with them and keep that relationship warm and communicate with them every couple months, even just to say hi, when the time comes that you're looking for another job and you're older, you're not going to get it through online you know, job application <laughs> websites, right? You're going to get it through somebody that you know, and or those old coworkers who work in another company, they're going to turn into your client when you're suddenly independent. Those old clients that you used to have that you've made a relationship with, and then that client has then moved to another company, they're going to be your client. So you might've had them as a client when the, you're working in an agency. Now you're independent. That client that you had there and got to know and kept in contact with they move to another company and suddenly they're your client when you become independent. You want to build that network and keep them warm. This is the one thing that I wish I knew earlier in my career is that people do not stay in their jobs forever. And if you stay in touch with them over a number of years, the number of companies that you have insiders into in that you know just grows and grows and grows geometrically. And so these old work clients become your indie clients. And you want to really think and ask, like, what is it that I can do for you? That's your first question out of your mouth. What can I deliver for you? You want to build also a peer network, a network, a strong, meaningful network of strategic partners. So when you're out on your own, you and you're starting to consult or freelance, 
that these are partners that you'll be able to bring in to projects that might be out of your kind of T-shaped skill set or V-shaped skill set. And you can bring them in to help you work projects that maybe you can't handle completely on your own. And if you make yourself available to them, they can do the same, right? So if you are a close relationship with a web developer and you're a brand identity designer, a graphic designer, then having a close relationship with someone who's a great CSS coder or whatever is a great relationship because you could take on a job for web design that you're like, I don't know if I can handle that. And the client comes to you and says, I want this website designs, you know, website that's got e-commerce and, you know, all these special kind of animations and stuff. And you're like, your answer in your gut is like, no. And that, but the answer out of your mouth is yes, absolutely. And then you immediately on the phone to your CSS web developer colleague who you're going to bring in and is going to help you do that job. And it works both ways. Building that meaningful network means going to conferences. It means going to meetups, going to events, pressing the flesh showing up, engaging, because not everything happens in the digital sphere. And one of the places that's really great and easy way to do this, and I said this at the very beginning of the presentation, was that I was going to tell you the one thing that was the easiest way to buy yourself some career insurance and to combat the scourge of ageism in the creative industries, and that is joining a mastermind group. There is incredible power in mastermind groups. And I'm not just talking about connections. You can have followers, you can have people who are following you on Instagram or, you know, whatever, but you don't have a relationship with them. You can have followers on LinkedIn, you can have connections on LinkedIn, but, you know, did you ever really work with them? Were they ever really a client? Have you ever DM'd them? Have they ever DM'd you? Like has there ever been a conversation there? Not just connections, I'm talking about a meaningful network where you have relationships, where you have an interaction that means something. Because it's not who you know. You've heard the thing, right? It's not what you know, it's who you know that matters. Well, it's actually who you know and what you know that matters. It's both of those things. So, what you know coming out of your job with your kind of core level of experience and history is important. But then when you come out with that, who you know is what's really going to transform and be that career insurance for you as you make that transition. So it's who you know and what you know that matters. And so you have to understand that your network is what's going to get you work. As an independent, when you're off on your own, and your network is what is going to get you work. It's, it might get you near your next job if you can land that and you have insiders inside of the company that you've always wanted to work for and you have people watching out for you and can you know, can vouch for you and you're not getting tossed out by a resume reading bot but your network can get you work cuz work new work comes from, from like basically three places right it comes from promotion doing ad ads paid ads cold outreach it comes from attraction so content marketing it comes from referrals your network or word of mouth so referrals from people who've worked with you or known of you, and then it comes from your network. And so you can either buy it, you can attract people through content, or you can build a really strong, meaningful network. And to tell you the truth, you kind of got to address all three if you really want solid career insurance. And so by building out this meaningful network, you are essentially, what you're doing is you're creating a wider sales funnel. Like Clients come to you from awareness, from the open biggest part of the funnel, right? But you're just one person. The more people that you know, the wider that open part of the funnel becomes because you are part of their sales funnel and your other colleague is your part of their sales funnel and they're part of yours. And before you know it, there's all sorts of work flowing into that funnel and a lot more of it's going to be moving your way. They leverage you and you leverage them. So where do you find these people, right? Yes, they could be old coworkers. They could be colleagues. They could be old clients. Here's a kind of a general laundry list of networking, right? So you can meet people at conferences, go to the Hauer, AIGA, Fuse, South by Southwest. I'm going to Adobe Max in about a week and a half. If any of you guys here are going to Adobe Max in, in LA on the 9th, I'm going to be there. You'll see me walking around. You'll see the glasses, the hat, right? Say hi. I really want to meet you in the flesh. There's professional groups. So 
professional, true professional organizations like the Design Management Institute or the AIGA and local chapters of that, the Art Directors Club, et cetera. There's also social media groups like all sorts of LinkedIn groups or Facebook groups, Discord, Reddit, et cetera. The list goes on. Those are some of the methods for networking. But networking can be kind of awkward. I'm an introvert. And if you see me at Adobe Max, come over to me because I'm kind of an introvert. I'm not so much when I'm on YouTube Live, but I am. And so networking can be kind of awkward. So how do you make it less painless? How do you make networking less painless? Building that meaningful network. This is the answer. You join a membership mastermind group, a mastermind group. Because what mastermind groups are is they're a peer group and it offers this combination of mentorship and feedback and support and goal setting and training and camaraderie where you are all in this kind of same journey together. And that's why I'm starting this group called, it's a mastermind community for established creative professionals. These are not people right out of school, established creative professionals who are going to network with each other and build meaningful networks with each other and also set goals, move their business forward faster, be held accountable to those goals and build deep, meaningful relationships. And also added benefit, I'm going to be leading this group and I'm going to be the key mentor and kind of, you know, sharing all of the wealth of experience and knowledge that I have and that I share through my courses and my coaching and all my content, et cetera. And all the work that I do with my clients, of course, too. So this is going to be a killer group and it's going to launch October 20th. And if you are interested in finding out more, you want to go to philipvandusen.com slash bonfire. And I'll do that URL a little bit later too. The name bonfire came from this great quote by Eckhart Tolle in a book called Power of Now, which if you haven't read this book, it's, a, it's changed my life. It's a mindset book, but it's really, really deep. It's, in, it's been sold like 50 million copies in 50 countries. I mean, it's like, it's not a, he's not a slacker. And he has this great quote where he talks about how when lo one log is on fire, when another log comes in contact with it, both logs have to catch on fire. And when those logs are separated, the one that was burning before is burning more fiercely, and the one that wasn't burning at all has got a flame to it. And that's where the idea of bonfire came from. And that's where the visual of the O kind of infecting the B and the N with the heat came from, is that it is about how we help each other catch fire. And because when you're surrounded with people who are on fire, you can't help but catch fire too. And in my personal experience, when I was, I burned out and I went out on my own, a membership mastermind group is what helped me succeed. It's what added rocket fuel and fire to my learning and my meaningful network and my trajectory and understanding of what I could do or what was even possible for myself. And I want that to happen for you too, because you're really surrounded by like really like-minded people who are also driven, who are also highly skilled. They may have a skill that's not exactly your skill. And you are on the similar journey and you drive each other forward. Just being in close proximity and networking with people who are doing things and sharing things and challenging themselves, you can't help but bring that on in yourself. And so what you get inside of Bonfires, you get mentorship, you get a meaningful network, goal setting and accountability, and a feedback loop. So that's one of the things that, that you get from networking and, and taking part in group coaching and mastermind groups is you get a feedback, a meaningful feedback loop of people that you trust. And by being able to kind of field your decisions and the things you're thinking about doing and the ways you're thinking about going and doing it, you can get true feedback from people that you trust and that you really understand have your best interests at heart and also have the experience to be able, you can believe them when they tell you something. And so it builds your confidence over time to be able to make decisions better and faster. And you also get resources and inspiration and, like I said, faster progress through this entire thing. So if you want to have a meaningful network and be able to make the right decisions and move your goals forward faster, joining a membership mastermind is definitely the way to do it. It's a faster pace of growth and it builds your level of confidence. And so 
one of the kind of stories I'd like to kind of surround this with and, and, and a way to frame out your thoughts around the value of this is that when we tell our clients to do branding or design or develop a website or, you know, some social media campaign or whatever it is that we're selling to clients, we tell them that they, you know, when we're trying to like upsell them, we say, yes, you really need to invest in your business in order to get the results that you need in the future, right? You have to make this investment in your business, in your brand. And the thing is, is that we tell that to our clients all the time because clients, they know this, right? Clients reinvest anywhere from 15 to 20% of their gross revenue back into the business. They spend money to make money. They through advertising, through marketing, through branding, almost any client company does this. But the funny thing is, is that we as creative professionals, we don't look at our revenue and go, okay, 20% of my revenue, I'm going to invest back into my business. I'm going to make an investment in time and in money into my business so I can grow in the future. And we don't do that as much. So we really need to learn how to make investments into our businesses. And and joining a membership mastermind is like one of those investments. It is an investment. It's a financial investment. But here's the thing you got to really pay attention to. And one of the most important things about the investment part of it is that when you are making a financial investment into something, you put more of your back into it. And all of the other people who are there are also doing the same thing. They're in financial investing to be there and to be in the group that they are that they want to be in with the people who they want to get lit on fire from and to and you become more committed to your activity in that group than if you weren't invested but that's the great thing it's because you know the other people there are also invested and they're working hard and they're paying attention and they're engaging and they're showing up so you know you're not just entering some group where people are like ah whatever you know you join and then you never show up to the facebook group it's like you, you make a commitment and an investment, and when you do that, it returns benefits. And so ask yourself the question, when was the last time you really invested financially in your success, other than paying your Adobe Creative Cloud subscription, right? So you have three options, really, when it comes down to it. I want to think you to think of it through this lens, right? So you can either do things the way you've always done them and get the results that you've always gotten. You know the phrase, like, if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you've always gotten. And you can hope for the best. Or you can try to improve your business and your network on your own time in your own way. Yes, you can do that too. You can take everything that I've told you, and I hope you took great notes, and then you can go off on your own and try to do that. Or you can make an investment in a mastermind group. What's the investment that you would need to make on your own to get the benefits of a mastermind group. What would that cost? Let's say you go to one conference. Like I'm going to Adobe Max in a week and a half, right? That's probably going to cost me from soup to nuts, plane, hotel, cost of the conference, all that sort of stuff. Easy, 3,600 bucks. And that's not including the legwork I got to do networking when I'm there or any kind of true partnerships or, you know, Goal setting, not going to happen there. Feedback, not going to happen there. Accountability, not going to happen there. There's no online supportive community that you can kind of hang out on. But it's going to cost me 3600 bucks, and then end up networking solo. So say I meet a dozen people or 10 people at Adobe Max, and we say we want to form a, let's get together on Zoom. You got to like get them all on board too. You're going to have to put in some time and energy in finding those people, communicating with them, and your time to network and do this solo. And if time is money, that's going to cost you, you know, four grand, three grand, depending on what you charge an hour, right? And those things combined are like 7,500 bucks, 7,600 bucks. If you went to a conference and you tried to build some sort of new Zoom networking thing on your own, or choice number three, you could do it with us. You could do it with Bonfire. And so Bonfire is a group coaching mastermind community. It's a online, private, gated community on the Circle platform. It's populated with a tremendous amount of resources. So there's live coaching, two times a month Zoom calls. There's a private community on Circle. 
there's a, a milestone success map called the fire milestone map that I, I have created and populated with resources that give you literally a roadmap to how you go about this sort of work from setting up your infrastructure to building your infrastructure and the assets you need to do that to developing authority and to you know becoming more visibly present and more powerful as a personal brand. I'm also going to bring in periodic guest speakers. There may be business challenges or challenges to do that we do as exercises together. I'm going to make access to my Brand Strategy 101 course available either free or at a massive discount, depending on what level you are in at, and accountability partners as well. So group coaching, two times a month, mastermind calls, recordings of all the meetings in case you can't make one, private community feedback and accountability set up with individual partners, fire milestones, the resource library, which has got 67 resources, worksheets, templates, downloadable assets, checklists, tutorial guides, and it's going to continue to grow. I'm also going to be offering office hours, which will be more informal that you can kind of just drop in on if you've got a question. Brand Strategy 101, as I said, and also visiting experts. If you join, I can guarantee you a few things. You're going to move forward faster. You're going to build an instant network of meaningful connections. You're going to develop more confidence in how you're moving forward and the decisions you're making and in your future picture of where it is that you're going to be. You're going to discover new ideas, be inspired, and come up with kind of concepts. And this is what happened to me when I joined my membership mastermind at the very beginning was that I was exposed to people who were doing things that I never even realized I should or could do for myself. Like I was exposed to things that I never had conceived of. And one of those things was developing a YouTube channel, which I've done. And it actually became the main new business engine for my agency. That's not something that I really considered doing at the very beginning. Developing a course, right? So you're exposed to things that you may never have even considered might be a possibility for you. And the Fire Milestones kind of has four kind of main stages. There's foundations, there's ignition, where you're you know kind of catching fire, and then there's building your reach and eventually building your expertise and your authority. And there are lessons and assets that walk through each of these milestones in this success map. Like I said, there's over 67 resources and tools that are already populated in the group as downloads ready to go. And this is just a little peek of what the visual branding looks like inside of the circle group and how it's, how it's structured. And so I really, I invite you to come in and check it out. And if you're definitely join my email list, so philipvandusen.com slash muse, M-U-S-E, because that's where you're going to learn more and more about it over in the next couple of weeks. The prices right now, and these may flex, but base membership, or we call embership, so bonfire embers. So a bonfire to become a bonfire ember is $97 a month. If you, that's paid quarterly. So you pay three months at a time. If you pay monthly, it's 127 a month, but the way to do it is to join quarterly or annually. And if you join annually, you get an 18% discount. So it's $97 a month. There are going to be elevated levels from there. We're also going to have an elevated smaller group called the Bonfire Guild. It's going to be more like the Guild Experience, which I've created in the past. That will launch when we develop groups of nine people. So at, at, when nine people sign up for the Guild, we'll start a Guild group. If nine more people sign up, we'll start another Guild group. So essentially, that's a, a group that's an elevated, more intense, more super intimate experience that's at a different investment level. And then there's the level where if you wanted to, you can sign up for direct one-on-one ongoing mentorship with me, which includes in real life person meeting in New York City once a year. And there are a couple mentees that I have who are working at that level right now, but I'm, I'm excited and totally open to bringing on some more mentees at that level. So that is what Bonfire looks like. And if you go to philipvandusen.com slash bonfire, all of this information's on that page. 
And there are a number of buttons on the page where you can click and join the waitlist. And if you join the waitlist, you're going to be getting some emails that are going to allow you to come on board and get into Bonfire before the rest of the general public. So I encourage you to go on to, and it's not going to cost you anymore, but you're going to get some private interaction. So go to philipvandusen.com slash bonfire, sign up for the waitlist. And then when the doors open, take action quickly, and it'll be awesome to have you inside. If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the Brand Muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand, and business. That's philipvandusen.com slash muse, M-U-S-E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.